0: Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we talk about upcoming games, including the Doom 3 beta and X99 refresh. Broadwell E, is it for you? I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren and PAX East was on April 22nd. That would be last month based on the recording of this podcast. Oh, PAX. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. We need to make it to PAX Prime this year. That's going to be our mission, assuming that <laughs> I can find out when the tickets go on sale, the, what, two seconds afterwards instead of like 30? Boy, you've
1: sure got to be on it. That has grown like a weed, and it's just right in our backyard in Seattle, Washington.
0: Yes, we got to go. But at uh, PAX East... PAX East in Boston, uh, Randy Pitchford from Gearbox pretty much hinted out Borderlands 3 was going to happen.
1: Yes, and that's not a surprise really to anyone, I think, because of the phenomenal success they've had. But the release of uh, that other Borderlands title had kind of put that in uh, in question while they were busy off doing, what,
0: Overwatch? No, no, they're doing uh, Battleborn. Battleborn, that's right. right which seems like... Kind of a strange version of Borderlands. I, I don't know. I never really got into the whole Battleborn thing. Mm-hmm. I tried playing the beta, and I just basically picked a character. I had no idea what I was doing, and there was no, like... I didn't even know what key to press to do an action skill, so I'm Oh, like, yeah. no. It was just terrible. Someone spent too much time in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something, yeah, and, but... I tried to play it, I couldn't, and it was just, yeah, I just totally got turned off on it, but I don't really understand what it's about. Like, Borderlands is easy, it's like, you're on Pandora, you gotta go and do this stuff. They Mm -hmm. explained that when the game launched, but when Battleborn was launched, it's like, well, there's a star dying, you gotta fight, I don't get it.
1: Well, I think that they're, like many of the large companies right now, trying to really trend across the multiplayer battle experience which is the dota experience for example right. and so everybody's trying to find a way to tap into that success from the competition and that's true of overwatch as well where you're trying to get the multiplayer arena combat as the primary focus mm-hmm. which is not really your bread and butter and, and kind of mm-hmm. not mine
0: either i prefer the team-based uh, combat for that sort of stuff like the battlefield series for example right so um but yeah at pax east he pretty much um said hey Battlefield 3, or not Battlefield, uh, Borderlands 3 (laughs) will be coming out, and as soon as all of the DLC is out for Battleborn, they are going to roll over all their devs to actually finish the game. And that kind of got a lot of the YouTubers that used to play uh, Battlefield, or not Battlefield, uh, it got me stuck on Battlefield. Well, that's
1: because there's Battlefield news too. We'll talk about that
0: in a minute. Yeah. So the Borderlands guys that used to play Borderlands 2 on YouTube, started talking about and speculating what is Borderlands 3 going to be. And a couple of the guys are starting to look at, well, take a look at Battleborn. We have 25 selectable characters that are customizable. Add that to the infinite gun mechanics of Borderlands 2, and now we have this large version of Borderlands where you can play... 25 different Vault Hunters, for instance. Which would be cool, especially with co-op, more than two players, please. Yeah, well, four. Well, we can do four. Well, yeah. But, but four still, is kind of kind of hard to wrangle everyone. Give us for. raiding parties, right? That's what people want. Get your clan together and do Borderlands 3, right? Yeah, that would be cool. Well, and also we have at the end of Borderlands 2, for instance, when you go after the Vault Key, uh, Lilith goes and tries to grab it, and all of a sudden we have a sky full of vaults. Wait, was that a spoiler? That seems like a spoiler. Well, the game's three years old. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So, and you know, we've completed it what? Six or seven times now. Oh Gosh, geez. Yeah. I feel like I completed my sleep, but it's still fun. It's still fun. So yeah, Lilith pretty much primed it for, you know, multiple world sort of vault hunting.
1: Gosh. Yeah. Open the world up a little bit more. Give us more characters more guns maybe
0: more. do the customization the way we all thought it would originally be mm-hmm. and maybe a DLC will be okay now you get to go and do your vault hunting on another planet oh, instead God, just of like
1: please please don't do
0: oxygen oh no no, <laughs> no. or what is it uh, the one in Hammerlock that was dumb the little crystals yeah
1: at least that was you know just a kind of a small add on so i kept it fresh
0: but not the same as yeah Oxygen, dumb, no more oxygen. No um, more oxygen, please. Cryo, maybe, but no oxygen, no.
1: Fair enough, but some of the characters I wouldn't mind having back. If we're going to expand the roster to 25, then why not bring on
0: Torg? Torg would be awesome. Uh, tiny Tina would be cool. Tina, Although yeah. Although she might not be so tiny. She oh. might be, what, 20 by then no there's
1: an interesting thought what happens when tiny Tina gets older
0: yeah she's like what 12 now 13 now so mm-hmm. figure five years she's going to be teenage she's going to be gage's age well I'm
1: reminded what happened to the Borderlands movie that we
0: speculated on not too far like oh yeah
1: come on Randy get on that man yeah, yeah we well and that would be a great setup for Borderlands 3 too.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, one can dream, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, and we also have the uh, the Borderlands, um, the uh, that movie game. Um... The point and click thing from Telltale? Yeah. Yeah. Tales from the Borderlands, because we also have Reese. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Fiona, I think was her name. Not Fiona. Well, the other girl.
1: I yeah, think. so it's definitely I can see an expanded roster of players. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit that if you look at the art direction that they have put into these newer titles, you can see the borderland influence in it, the cell shading, but a little more advanced.
0: Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah. And we have the, uh, the characters are very, um, exaggerated. Whereas in borderlands, they were very human like, right? But in Battleborn, it's very, um, yes, I hate to say it, but Dota like, and kind of wow, like,
1: yeah, well, you know, and to some extent they're chasing the Pokemon crowd with all the bright colors and Mm -hmm. exaggerated features and, I mean, that, don't be offended by that, but that's kind of where that art direction came from originally
0: is is these children's multiplayer games and early anime. Right. Well, speaking of also influence, uh, I was able to play the um, Halo of Duty <laughs> over uh, a couple of weeks ago, which for people that don't know, that was the Doom 3 beta. right? And by the time that this podcast comes out, Doom 3 will have already, or not Doom 3, but the new Doom, will have been released because it comes out May 13th. Let me tell you about my Doom beta experience. Just a couple of words. Searching for server. Searching for server. Ah, let's go play (laughs) Battlefield. (laughs) Well, my uh, Doom experience was um, pretty much like playing COD 4. So you get loaded into a map. You're level one. You have basically two loadouts that you can pick from. One has a rocket launcher. One has something that isn't the rocket launcher. Um, and then you walk out, boom, fragged. Walk, boom, fragged. Walk, oh, boom, no. fragged. Walk. So it was only multiplayer, right, to be it clear? Was, it was only multiplayer. And, you know, I had the Titanfall problem where unless you started playing right when it came out, you're not leveled up enough to the point to keep up with the guys that are actually doing that. Um, and at that point, you know, they're level 20 or 30 and they have railguns and they're able to, you know, snipe you from across the uh, map. yes,
1: you know, that sounds like Quake Arena to me. I remember the days when dominating Quake Arena meant being the first one to the rocket launcher mm-hmm. or the first one to the railgun, the first one to the quad, you know, and if you had the timing
0: down, then nobody could stand against you, assuming that you had any skill at all. Right, and that is, you have to learn that because you have to learn the map, you have to learn the timing. Right. And it kind of comes down to how many people are on the map because if it's five, then it's pretty easy, but if it's ten, you might... Run out of your, you know, you might get blocked or you might get fragged halfway through your loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with this one, you have the same sort of mechanic where you're going around picking up ammo, you're picking up health, you're picking up weapons, kind of. <laughs> you can, well, you can pick up quad damage, those multipliers. And then if you get um, a certain amount of kills or whatever, they bring in the Reverend or Vervent, or whatever, the, the big demon thing. Oh, yeah. The, the demon room opens up, so you can become the demon and go around and, and dun, kill dun, everything. Dun. Well, that sounds exciting. It is. The problem is the, the weapon loadouts are level-based, so you have to level up, and the only way to level oh, up is to I either be... the Call of Duty reference now. Yeah, yeah. You have to be on the winning team to get a certain amount of points, or even like uh, Counter-Strike, for that matter, because, you know, you, more teams win, you get more money, you can buy the right. op, sort of thing. So... Uh, As you level up, being on winning teams, and I should be fair, the server balanced people pretty well. So we always had one high-level player, and then a couple of low-level players, and then some really low-level players. Sure. So um, I think when I got done, I was at level 7. And at that point, I had three other weapons that I could load out to, and then I could start making custom loadouts. And then I could also customize skins, Mm -hmm. which was...
1: Okay, so yeah, a little bit more Call of Duty, almost... Cod four level enhancements there, mm-hmm. where you move mm-hmm. up. Well, the nice advantage of that is that it kept them. Though, does it Doom require you to re earn them every time you enter a match, or do you just level up and then your character is a higher level? You level up, your
0: character is higher level. Yeah, that's and, at least a nice plus. Yeah, and you have well, the thing I didn't like about it was everybody had an unfair advantage. Whereas with Quake three for Arena, for instance, everybody was on a le- level even keel you didn't have, you had like one weapon when you came into the map and then you had to mad rush to get the other OP weapons.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the maps were pretty well balanced so that everybody had an equal shot at those things, at least in theory. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Well, okay. I can see why you had problems with the gameplay, but I know you're still excited about picking it up. So there must be things you liked about it. And I know one of the things that really stuck out to me was the level design and the multi tiering of some of the levels. So
0: tell us what you liked. Uh, Graphics. I loved the graphics. It was a bit dark, but it was dark, and yet light enough that you could see what you were doing and where you were going. Unlike in Doom Three, which is something I mentioned before when I was talking about Doom. Um, Doom Three required you to use a flashlight, which made this artificial sort of like jump scare sort of situation. Yeah, definitely took uh, advantage of that. I can understand why you'd want to use the flashlight and it artificially enforced this sort of like scary nature of it. The
1: claustrophobic feel of it was what it was for me. Yeah.
0: And it was very well done, I should say in the way that the game was set up, but very linear It was very linear. It was very on rails. Um, it was really short for me, I think, I mean, you could play it for hours. Yes. But the story didn't progress very fast. Right. At least in doom three. Um, The problem I had with it was that, okay, you have the flashlight, but when you have the flashlight, you can't have a weapon. And then when you have the weapon, how do you know where you're going to shoot?
1: Yeah, that's just artificial throttling
0: again, really. Yeah. Well, with this version of the Doom, uh, the designs are very dark, but they are well lit, kind of like um, the way the original Quake was lit.
1: Okay, yeah. So
0: you can kind of see where you're going. You can see areas where you need to be. You can see areas that might be a secret area. But they also had multi-tier, so you could, um, I think in the multiplayer maps, there was two of them that I cycled through. They had six different levels to those maps where you could jump around. Yeah, and that's what I thought was very appealing.
1: And I should point out that there's an awful lot of footage out there, so it's pretty easy to go out and see people's footage. They encouraged actual sharing of it, which is a nice plus for multiplayer beta. So you can really take a look at it, and I can't even begin to describe how cool the single-player uh, demo is that they've been showing also, which really
0: shows some really cool stuff. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about things like the chainsaw and that oh. kind of thing. And the way I understand it, the chainsaw is um fuel-based, kind of like it was in Doom 2, I guess, where you only have a certain amount of gas. and you know, Obviously, it's pretty OP, so you can slice through a bunch of demons, but depending on how much you use it, it runs through ammo really, really fast. So... Um, and on top of that, speaking of OP, um, in the multiplayer that I played, the knife was basically the most powerful weapon in the entire ha! game.
1: If you close, you get the kill, huh?
0: Yeah. If you're close, boom, punch them and they're out. How and I'm like, funny, That just seems odd. I mean, I have a double barrel shotgun right to your face and you just knife me. But well, again, Call of Duty.
1: We're still making it sound like a first day purchase is in order though, which is a pretty strong impression.
0: Yes, I will be. Probably afternoon in the line. So now, first. I didn't get a chance to get into the beta and the multiplayer demo because, you know... Finding server?
1: Yeah, events conspired against me, or maybe it's just a timing issue, and that's okay. But I still have to say that I'm intrigued, mm-hmm. uh, although I'm a little nervous now about the multiplayer experience being a little bit of Twitch dominant. Mm-hmm. But you also mentioned something that you haven't talked about yet, and that was that the pacing was a little bit slower than you expected. I think you compared it to Halo a
0: little bit. Oh, well, yeah, the Halo portion of it was um, kind of in how fast you leveled up and how far you had to go on the map to get to where the action was. Oh, okay. So uh, some like in um, Unreal Tournament, some of the later versions of an Unreal Tournament when you're playing an Onslaught map and you're, you're taking, I think it's Onslaught, you take over those different key points. The command points, yep, yep. that is Onslaught. If you spawn at your main base, you might have to go three spots over to yeah. get to where the fighting is. Sure needed the vehicles. Yeah, that's, you know, the main reason you need those vehicles. But if they're all gone, because you're playing with 15 other people, you're walking. <laughs> well, it's true in a lot of games. I guess I had
1: hoped that maybe the multiplayer would see a little bit of the Quake Wars influence to
0: it, which was a game that I thought was very underappreciated. Yeah. The one thing I didn't see, which I'm hoping is in there, is... um a real team base where you can pick a team. Um, A lot of the modern games now, when you get red and blue teams, you say, hey, I want to be a red preference team. But you can't pick who you want to be because you can't pick what server you want to be on. You can't pick, you know, say, hey, if we want to play together on the same map, how do we ensure we're on the same team? Yeah,
1: I had that problem, especially with the latest Star Wars game. You know, you could join your friends, but the balancing and playing with your friends was... Difficult to accomplish, and it really kind of tarnished the game a little bit for me because you could get on, you know, a lot of servers with your friends, but you couldn't control who was playing with what as easily and and predictably as it should be. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm still, I think, I'm still on the fence. I think it's maybe a wait and see game for me. Yeah. But to be fair, I'm a little bit excited about the latest Battlefield
0: announcement. You mean Battlefield? 1, which was released, <laughs> what, 10, 12 years ago?
1: Battlefield 1, yes. And I got to tell you, it is a return to form for a lot of us older gamers to the World War One bastion, which is very underserved in modern gaming today. In fact, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of gamers out there that don't or didn't experience World War One and World War Two games when it seemed like that was everything that was out there. Remember the Wolfensteins and yeah. and the early battlefield games were all based in these
0: you know, even the enemy territory and stuff were based in these World War One, World War Two themes. Well, to be fair, this was also the era of the Nokia candy bar phone. Oh boy. Windows ninety five, <laughs> ninety eight. Now, now you're
1: just dating us. But these are great games that you can go back to, and one of the nice things that I'm seeing is a resurgence to returning these old games out, and some of the games that were underserved, you can pick up very cheaply, and you talked about even picking up the early Dooms, which, you know, some weather better than others, but there are a lot of folks that think in the Battlefield series, the game peaked with either Battlefield 3 or Bad Company, and in fact, the sales of Battlefield 4 somewhat support this. Now, I
0: am a very solid Battlefield 4 player, I know, big surprise to our regular listeners. Mm-hmm. I, I liked Battlefield 2, the Bad Company edition. Mm-hmm. That was the one we played a lot.
1: Yeah, now Battlefield 2 was a fantastic and had some of, in my opinion, the most varied DLC, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know Battlefield 3 and then the 2142, which
0: was fun, but in a very different way oh and then battlefield vietnam which was kind of fun uh, but a little weird I, I it was more nostalgic than
1: yeah and i think i almost enjoyed that one more for the music than i did for the gameplay it was a an interesting diversion but yeah, yeah. but anyway i digress but battlefield one the preview video was out and it has some very intriguing exciting features to it now it features dogfighting in the red baron style biplanes and triplanes
0: which I can That sounds cool to me. That sounds cool. Now if mm-hmm. if the flying has gotten better, well we'll probably use the Battlefield 4 mechanic for oh, flying, which please I'm hoping God
1: is... give us joystick support out of the box. Yeah. But that you know that's beside the point because one of the things that turns people off about Battlefield 4, especially on some of the maps, is that the vehicles can be overpowering, especially in the hands of an expert. And Mm -hmm. I have talked about that at great length. The huge advantage that an experienced chopper pilot has, even over the airplanes, because of the flight mechanic being uh, a little wonky. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. And the video also had some other interesting things. There was a really huge focus on trench warfare, especially hand-to-hand combat, which has kind of faded out of modern games. Now,
0: well, that wasn't even in the original Battlefield 1.
1: Well, I mean, you've always had a melee attack, and in mm-hmm. Battlefield 4, it's a lot of fun to knife people because it's it's sort of the humiliation attack, which is kind of what it's become in a lot of games.
0: Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of like in Halo of Duty.
1: Yeah, now I digress a little bit because I should point out that they also announced the newest Call of Duty, and it kind of just didn't have the same impact. Now, they're calling it Call of Duty Infinity Wars, which is kind of a fun pun on the fact that it's being developed by Infinity Studios instead of Treyarch. And Mm, that
0: never worked out well the last time it happened either. So a lot of
1: people have talked about the call of duty cycle and that is that every other call of duty tends to be a good one. And then the following one is farmed out to one of the other studios (laughs) or Arch or we know, and they tend to be sort of like the TikTok cycle in a processor. It's more of the same, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but always more of the same. But, uh, The Infinity War is, I think, the fourth time that Call of Duty stepped into the future war realm, and it really is starting to feel a little tired. In fact, we talked about Call of Duty 4, which is the last time I got really excited about a Call of Duty title enough to really stick with it, and I've played some of the newer ones. Mm Mm-hmm. And they get more twitchy and more fancy, but it's kind of the same thing.
0: Well, yeah. And I played, uh, for instance, Call of Duty Black Ops. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, something we talked about on a previous podcast where it was completely on rails. Right. And I got to the point where I could beat the cinematic effects, where I could be like clear across a bridge, and then all of a sudden the bridge would collapse, and it would send me (laughs) back before the bridge. That's right. Where I had to go and get rescued. And it was just, it was terrible because it was completely on rails, but... To the game's credit or discredit, it wasn't ever created for the single-player game. It was always created for the multiplayer game. And a lot of people have called the Call of Duty series basically a license to print money because they know they're going to sell a ton of them.
1: And boy, do they ever. And Battlefield has always kind of been a second seller. And I realize that Battlefield really is you know, the large multiplayer arena and it's dramatically impacted by the skill of the players and the balance of the teams. Mm -hmm. And that honestly is a problem really everywhere. Even on the servers that I help admin, um, you know, every third, fourth mission is going to be a map where the game is really close and the rest are going to be out of balance. And it's just very difficult to control. I spend a lot of time trying to think about how to help the balance and, Switching teams to losing team and all that stuff that you do when you're trying to help
0: out. Yeah. And the balance isn't necessarily like the skill of the player, but also how many hours the player has in the game. Yes. How
1: skilled you are with the weapons. To some extent, what you have unlocked, although not as bad as in Call of Duty. Right. But also, you know, it really is about how well you've mastered the assets and how well you know the map, which is the plus for me. I really, really like knowing the flow of the map and that it never changes. But Battlefield also is getting a little bit long on the tooth because the Frostbite engine, which is the engine that the Battlefield series has been on for a couple of generations, which allows for the destructible arenas, which is mm-hmm. one of the great appeals, is getting a little long on the tooth too. And Battlefield 1 looks like it's going to use the same engine. So it's matured. Yeah. We don't know for sure what's changed in the new one. But we've got Trench Warfare, where we've got people smacking each other with trench shovels. We've got inventory swords. We've got bayonets, which really makes me feel like they're going to go back to World War I pacing. So maybe a little bit slower, less weapon damage, a lot less accuracy, which may be a pro, maybe a con, but it, it does allow the option of closing, and that brings up maybe the coolest thing about the preview, for me at least, and that is we've got charging inventory, with sabers they look like cossacks on horses whoa so this is something very new and i realize that we have vehicle combat in a lot of the modern games Mm. but the opportunity to maybe rush infantry on a horse with a saber is something that to me just seems like an experience that needs to be fulfilled for me (laughs) based on the way it's in there so i hope that that's a playable element
0: but well it makes me wonder though are they going to treat like the horses kind of like you would like a motorcycle vehicle or is it going to be uh you know like you have to unlock the horse and then you can be on that, you know, you can get your horse. If you lose your horse, then you're you're down
1: with this. And I think that's a very interesting concept in my mind to make it work. The horse would have to be at least semi indestructible. Yeah. And you know, like a Jeep or a motorcycle in modern battlefield, you can, you you can destroy the Jeeps and you can destroy the tanks and stuff, but it's not a quick process. No. Now in reality, a horse is not that indestructible. So we'll see. But, it's going to spoil the whole impact of it if you get on the horse and you take two steps and the horse gets sniped because it's a pretty big target. Yeah, it is. So we've got trench combat with uh, emphasis at least in the video on close combat and hand-to-hand combat. Mm -hmm. We've got huge cool dogfights in old biplanes which is something that i haven't experienced since the red baron series Mm -hmm. and that was really fun but that also brings that slower pace to mind both of those elements and then you throw in charging horses and early infantry and first generation tanks and there's just an amazing amount of potential. And then you throw in the clue where if you look at the pre-orders right now, Dennis, you can see the pre-order bonuses include things like a Lawrence of Arabia pack, for example, which is outfits oh, and weapons. Yeah. Uh,
0: and it probably it will also expand the uh, battlefield because right. it wasn't just in the European theater.
1: The yes. And I'm intrigued by the opportunity to maybe do combat in the deserts of
0: Arabia or
1: you know, in the skies over France or whatever. So you have, I think, the opportunity to give a lot more diversity to the maps, especially if you have a land sea, air element like we have in the modern Battlefield. Mm -hmm. So a little scared about pacing issues and balance, and Battlefield has had a reputation for having some
0: pretty sloppy launches. Well, that was mostly with servers, though. Yeah, but It wasn't really the game. But then again, you got to have the server
1: launch play. in recent history with Battlefield has been a fiasco. Yeah. So hopefully they've got that figured out. Balance issues also, when Battlefield's first released, huge. And they always do two, three, four bounce passes, boom, 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 in a row. Which makes it interesting because as you're trying to learn the game, the weapon damage might change. Hmm. But that's just kind of the side effect of having these
0: larger multiplayer persistent types of battles. Yeah. Well yeah. that's also what the uh like that betas that we play and right. the alphas and stuff are supposed to vet that stuff out but mm-hmm. you know the like what was it battlefield 3 we were both in the alpha and on the beta to right. play that and we got in there and we played we had <laughs> issues of course but they never pulled you know, they never surveyed us to figure out what it was they needed to have fixed. So it was oh, almost yeah. like they were, like, fleshing out the servers or Well,
1: and Battlefield something. 4 always has something that's OP and changing. I mean, they did their recent balance pass that has made the anti-aircraft weapons way weaker and the anti-tank weapons, which has put the balance back on the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Tough for some of the chopper-dominated maps. But, you know, the fact that they're still making balance passes in Battlefield 4 is pretty impressive, as old as the game has become. Yep. Now, I know there are folks out there that will remind us in the forums or in the PMs that, yeah, there was some promised Battlefield 4 content, especially some night maps that apparently got lost in the shovel. Oh. That's just dice. And, unfortunately, you've got to remember that this is an electronic arts game, and that comes with some of the nasty side effects of being an electronic arts, arts game. Dang it. But dice is good. Have faith in Dice. They're going to put out a great game. It may take a little bit of evolving, but I'm looking forward to taking it back to World War One and having a lot of fun with that. So we've talked about, I think, a lot of upcoming games in this segment. So there are a lot of uh, games competing for your hard-earned dollar this summer.
0: Oh, there's even some that we haven't talked about. Oh, that, so many. Yeah, and this year I think is going to be a landmark year for new exciting games
1: so many blockbusters and a lot of new IPs coming out too which is a nice refresh from call of duty 72 modern future past entertainment or whatever the latest battle is so to me it's refreshing to see battlefield returning to its roots maybe we'll see some secret weapons of the Luftwaffe style stuff come out which was fun honestly take a look at where you're spending your money I don't think you can go wrong with any of these games So, Dennis, we talked a lot in the main podcast this month about how this is such a great hardware month, but I know we focused on the 1080 Pascal launch specifically. But that wasn't the only thing that there was news about this month, and the one that was kind of intriguing, although it was hard to find details, was the X99
0: refresh. Right, the Broadwell E refresh. As we know, in the past, when uh, 2011 processors like Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge were released. We had the Sandy Bridge launch and then the Z79 motherboards. And then when um, Ivy Bridge came out, the Ivy Bridge E, a lot of companies took that opportunity to take motherboards that had already been matured in the market and then re-release them with new features. So well, that anything, makes sense. Yeah, anything new that had come out during the intermediate time between those two launches, they would go and re-add to the board and then re-release.
1: Well, Fiscally, it makes sense because you can use up inventory and still upgrade the chipsets to be competitive. And I think I could see, you know, charging a few extra bucks in there for the refresh.
0: Yeah, a few extra bucks and not so much R&D market because you don't have to build something from scratch. You take an existing motherboard and, for instance, add a killer networks controller to it to maybe change out the 3.1 USB controller for a 3.2. Or 3.0 for (laughs) 3.1. I think I'm following you.
1: So I was a little bit excited about the X99 refresh, but you're kind of making me feel less excited about it. Is there anything in the X99 refresh that's going to be good? I mean, what do we
0: know? Well, we know for a fact from uh, a TechAge post that Asus is already announcing two new boards, and these seem to be new, quote-unquote, boards, uh, new designs. That include, um, you know, those PCI Express retaining clips, which I believe they have a Oh, yeah, name. the Safe Slot. Da, da, da. Safe Slot. And we also have um, some, you know, Asus technologies that they like to brand and privatize. Oh, like their fan controllers and stuff, yeah. So we have new boards from Asus that are coming out, which really, they look nice. They're going to have LED lighting effects. Mm-hmm which I'm going to call the godlike effect because MSI godlike.
1: Well, their ROG boards have always been pretty boards and high performers, if maybe a little bit overpriced, at least at launch.
0: Mm -hmm. We have um, an announcement from MSI. They're releasing carbon editions of their X99 boards. now that's exciting.
1: Those look good. Yeah,
0: so they... um, the seven that you have in your system right now mm-hmm. is getting refreshed with basically a carbon scheme. So, oh dang it. <laughs> so they're borrowing a lot of the features from the X 99 godlike, like the mystic lights and the black color scheme. Oh
1: geez. First USB. the 1070 and now they're refreshing with a carbon. I yeah. just can't win. I tell you you, you, you never know when you pull the trigger on a new build.
0: Nope. You never do. We also have news from EVGA. They are doing, um, Well, a board that I just recently reviewed is the X99 For the Win K edition.
1: Great board. So what's the K?
0: The K is uh, the Killer Networks.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So it's very similar to the original For the Win, but they are taking the same approach they took with the uh, Z170 Classified K, which I call the Special K. (laughs) The Special K, nice. And rolling it down to their other mainstream board in the X99 platform for the Broadwell e-launch.
1: Who knew that the Killer Nick would find its home eventually in the
0: OEM motherboards? Yeah, it's, um, I want to say it's an amazing controller, although it's very, 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 three varies there, difficult <laughs> to test. Um, you know, but they say that you could use like BitTorrent, for instance, to be able to check uh, throughput and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. when you think about it, from a network topography, you have a super fast controller and then it filters through your router to the open internet to a few more routers and then to the server and oh, then yeah. making a loop back and then really the only real influence that that killer networks has at the hardware network level is between you and the router uh-huh. so there's not a lot of optimization there but well there is some benefit from a pure performance standpoint because it does offload a lot that the cpu would normally do in terms yes. of press.
1: And there is an advantage in the land party competitive state, and that is when you have everybody connecting to the same hub or hubs locally, uh-huh. then there is a distinct advantage, like you say, between your machine and the router. Now, it's not hugely measurable, but it is definitely there. Uh-huh. But is it worth the cost? Uh, I can see why the standalone Killer Nick cards didn't get a lot
0: of great press because you were paying a lot of money yeah. for that very small bit of difference. But now that they're being included with a lot of OEM yes. boards, and in some cases, like in the case of the X99 for the win, EVGA has included the Killer Networks controller and an Intel controller. So you can decide which one you want to use.
1: Nice. Well, and these full feature boards have all kinds of stuff we used to pay extra for. I mean, high-end audio. Mm-hmm. You got now the USB 3 and 3.1 on there. You got you know built-in video for the cards that support it. I mean, you really are getting so much for your motherboard money these days that... Honestly, people that are doing their builds today are spoiled. I mean, there was a time when you had to buy
0: all that separately and try to make it work. And in some cases those boards were really, really good because they could concentrate on fewer things and deliver a better product. That is true. Now you have all this stuff that you have to work together to, you know, make sure it works correctly, make sure voltages are correct. It impacts overclocking. Um, but you know, if you take it out of the box and just plug it in, plug in a processor. Works great.
1: Well, I still think that there is a future for overclock specific barebone boards. We've seen a few of those released, mm-hmm. but on the X ninety nine, I'm hearing a little bit of a revision, maybe. But let's talk about compatibility. So, right. if you have the desire for an X ninety nine and you want to go to an X ninety
0: nine E, well, they're they're the same basically. X ninety nine. Well, we have Haswell E. Mm -hmm. That's the current X99 generation. We also have Broadwell E, Mm -hmm. which is electrically compatible with Haswell E. Still the 2011 version 3 socket. Uh, They've just changed the internals. Uh, Broadwell was that processor platform that they skipped going from Haswell to Skylake. Um, They still released it, but it was mostly as a very low power, um, low performance sort of chip. I think we talked about those being more of a server-based, dependable board and less of a high performer. Right. Uh, they take they took that core and actually included it with the E platform. So now it's added with the um, the Broadwell E. There's rumors that there might be a ten core variant. So they're adding more cores to this, um, and we saw a couple of uh, leaked performance reviews at overclock.net where we had the broadwell e compared to a haswell e at the same clock speed oh yeah with a 20 to 22 percent increase in performance just from the processor well
1: that doesn't sound so incremental and i think uh, that's where we were talking about you know 7700 k's and and some of those higher end numbers that we'll well we'll see when they come mm-hmm. but i think what i'm hearing from you is there is a measurable 22% maybe a potential increase in moving up to this new platform.
0: So maybe not so bad for an incremental update after all. No. And if you have an existing X 99, you should be able to just flash the BIOS to get the new um, MR code or whatever they call it nowadays uh, to support the processor. Make sure that the voltages are in check and that it recognizes what cores you have and just go. So like in your case, you have your uh, MSI board, Water-cooling loop, you could pull the CPU block off, swap the processor, flash the BIOS, you're good to go. So, in your opinion, must-have, maybe, depends? Well, by the time that this podcast is released, um, I don't think the processors are going to be out. So, it'll be hard to say. But, you know, a 22% increase on just pre-release numbers, that seems like um, a better buy than going from, like, Sandy Bridge to Ivy Bridge, for instance.
1: Well, time will tell, and we'll look for those reviews as the product comes out. So check back on Hardware Asylum as the X99 refresh becomes a reality.
0: Coming soon. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS follow us on google or like us on facebook this has been an engine production copyright 2016 thanks for listening